Welcome to the Does It Work podcast by Biomarker Labs, where you can find wellness without the woo. There's an alligator coming down. Thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, you are a University of Iowa bio, biology professor, Correct. and you run a monthly discussion on genetic testing, right? For the community, yeah. I, as part of that, I work with a group of students here at the university where we meet weekly, so what we call the Personal Genome Learning Center. And so these are students that uh, voluntarily uh, work in this group. Uh, and part of what those students do is support some of the programming for a monthly meeting we do in the community at the local public library, uh, the DNA Interest Group, Iowa City, uh, where we meet each month. Huh, that's awesome. What got you interested in genetic testing? Um, well, I've, I'm a geneticist, um, and so I've watched that market develop um, as, a edu- as an educator. Um, and as most of my colleagues uh, have been and are, uh, I was somewhat skeptical of it. Uh, but then there was an opportunity that arose uh, here at the university to offer a first-year seminar. Uh, And those first-year seminars are designed to get students in their first semester involved in something that's interesting and fun, but subject-oriented. And so I took that opportunity to um, uh, develop this first-year seminar on doing a 23andMe test and sort of going through the results over the semester. Um, as an entree to genetics, uh, using their own genomes as a platform for learning. Um, and so with doing that, I, in planning to do that course, I sort of investigated the market uh, to see which platforms may be most appropriate for a college-age student um, that would entertain them for a semester. Um, and so I did my investigation of, you know, the different options available, uh, ended up on 23andMe that I used for that class. So you said you used to be a skeptic. What changed? <laughs> I still, I wouldn't, um, I was interested in it. Um, I guess I was a skeptic initially because, uh, of the marketing in terms of, uh, the 23andMe specifically about health. And um, I sort of used to joke as a, as a lecturer that this was back when 23andMe was expensive, uh, that if you paid me $1,000, I could tell you that you could exercise more, eat less, uh, quit smoking, and live longer uh, without doing a genetic test. <laughs> um, and so uh, once I've been more involved in the platform, Forms, I, I now see the util, some utility uh, that's available in those platforms. Okay. And I'm really curious about who comes to the community-based monthly events. A variety of people, because I try to keep it so that the subjects that we cover sort of engage the broad spectrum of folks that, that are interested in direct-to-consumer testing. Uh, and so that's a case where you have people interested in geology, you have people interested in the health reporting, you have inter- people that are just interested in the ancestry composition and sort of which test is best to do. Um, uh, and so I try to keep the subject of the meeting so it sort of covers this broad range of things. And therefore, we 
have some people that come every time, uh, but depending on the topic, whether it's health-related or genealogy-related, uh, we may bring in sort of a different subset of uh, folks uh, to those meetings. And what are some of the more popular topics that you guys have covered recently? So I mean, our last two months have been quite successful. Uh, last night, we uh, Tuesday night, we had our November meeting and we showed a film. Uh, and so this was a documentary film called Thank You for Coming. And it was about a woman's search for her uh, sperm donor father. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was fun and that drew quite a few people in. Last month, we had more of a workshop on using ancestry DNA. So sort of going through and uh, the title of it was getting more from your ancestry DNA results. And so we focused on um, some of those aspects of the ancestry DNA report that are oftentimes um, overlooked by the casual user um, and sort of what the utilities are that's buried in that platform. Yeah, I'm curious about what the utilities are of Ancestry. Um, like, I don't know if you saw the uh, woman tweeting about her dad finding out that uh, their family is not Italian from an Ancestry test and yelling in an exaggerated Italian accent about it. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just see people kind of like freaking out. Um, what are, why do it? What's the benefit? Um, well, most people are doing it because of that prediction of where their ancestors are from. Um, and uh, I actually had not seen that, that Twitter, but I was talking to a student in our weekly meeting uh, last night, and she was telling me about uh, that, that Twitter feed mm -hmm. um, on that that she had followed. And, and that's not uncommon that someone takes a test and finds out that their ancestry is not consistent with uh, what they expect it to be. And there's a variety of different reasons for that. One is that, you know, there may be an adoption or something like that in your past that you're unaware of. And so your, your ancestry may not be as the oral, as the oral story says it should be. Um, um, it could be a case that your sort of expectations of your ancestry are different from what's actually being estimated. Uh, because depending on which company you're looking at, they're sort of estimating, uh, a deeper time frame to people's ancestry than most most consumers are sort of expecting. Mm -hmm. you know, people are there. Most people are thinking, oh, yeah, I'm 25% Italian, 50% German, 25% uh, English, or something like that. You know, they're not going to give you that fine of granularity on the countries of origin of your migrant ancestors. Um, it's much more deeper and broader than that in terms of, you know, where you as a composition of genes uh, sort of fit into a geographical distribution of those genetic variants um, and sort of, and then parsing out sort of a percentage of your ancestry based on that. Um, and the different companies sort of were shooting for different time frames, either more recent, uh, deeper. Um, so depending on which company you do, you're going to get likely a, a different result uh, based on how they sort of uh, targeted their test. But, you know, that's, that ancestry composition is the thing that draws a lot of people into doing a test, especially on ancestry, because that's what their um, marketing is somewhat geared to. Uh, but the, the greater utility of it is, to me, is um, 
the relative matching. And so there's 10 million plus people in the Ancestry database. They take your DNA, match it with those other 10 million plus folks, and identify individuals that you share a recent common ancestor with, and they predict that relationship with them. And then that that set of cousins that you get in your DNA relatives then can be used to, to look at your family history in terms of uh, your, your, your tree for your family. And if you're an ancestry subscriber, uh, the DNA tests are really tightly integrated in uh, with the tree building platform of ancestry.com. And that's really the ancestry business model is to bring people in and hopefully get them to become subscribers of their ancestry.com family tree building service. Um, and so most of what we focused on uh, was uh, the tree building part of it. Um, we did have a bit uh, in October about the new ancestry composition estimate. And so just this fall ancestry redid how they actually compute your your ancestry and make those predictions and there was a pretty major change in how they had been doing it and so we went to through some of the details of, of how that how they changed their um, their algorithms um, uh, that have led to sort of different predictions than what people had uh, prior to the fall hmm. interesting so I want to focus on the health aspect. Um, I was listening to the Ben Greenfield podcast this morning, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's like kind of a biohacker kind of dude. And he was talking about how um, one thing that surprised me was they there was a study on people who followed kind of just broad-based diet and exercise recommendations and a group that followed – uh, diet and exercise recommendations based on their genes and the gene group saw higher or more benefit. Um, and then he was really like breaking it down saying your genes impact very like to me, like micro things. Like for example, um, your genes can determine whether a, a high fat, low carbohydrate diet is better for you versus a high carbohydrate, low fat diet is better for you. Um, your genes can determine whether you um, do better with saturated or unsaturated fats. Um, even like whether you're able to uh, digest or, or utilize uh, vitamin D um, without like, if you have a certain gene variant, taking vitamin D supplements is actually bad for you. Um, I wanted to know from you whether the current genetic tests on the market can actually tell you those things about yourself um, and whether it's actually like worth digging into for an indiv for a normal individual. Well, I mean, there, there are studies available that indicate genetic uh, variants that influence um, sort of metabolism and, and things of that sort, which now there's um, a whole suite of different uh, commercial testing that's developed related to fitness and diet. Um, I actually haven't done any of those specific tests, and I've only uh, sort of cursorily looked at sort of what they're actually testing and reporting. Uh, so I can't say 
much about the insides of those particular products and sort of how maybe useful or, or not they are. Uh, 23andMe does do some, uh, well, they only really do a, a diet in terms of um, uh, a predicted genetic weight and sort of what, what uh, diet is, is likely to most influence your weight. Um, and so saturated fats versus carbohydrates and things like that. And their model is fairly detailed and built on the 23andMe database uh, in terms of uh, research consented customers and some, and some studies that they've done with them. Um, I mean, personally, I would say well, they predict my weight right on, um, which is interesting. Uh, some people I've had tell me that they're, they're off on their weight. Either they predict that they should be uh, uh, lighter than they are, and they tend to not like that. <laughs> um, uh, or, and, and the other way as well. Um, uh, and then on my own personal report, it says that um, that I my weight is is more strongly determined by my saturated fat intake, uh, which I suspect to be true. And I did I participated in one little. Uh, 23andMe experiment uh, last year, last fall, um, uh, actually starting in January of this year, uh, where they had a weight study, and what they did was get uh, their customers to agree to three different diet or exercise protocols, um, and in that case, I was assigned a low-fat diet um, as my protocol, and so went on a 12-week diet where I reduced my saturated fat intake and I lost 30 pounds. So um, they haven't actually came out with the results of that study yet. Uh, but I was, I was glad that I actually got the saturated fat treatment uh, since I suspected that that's what mostly influences my weight um, uh, and uh, was able to lose uh, 30 pounds doing that. Well, Since cool. I started eating meat again, and I've gained some of it back, uh, but so I should go back on the vegetarian diet, and I potentially would be better off. So. Hmm. so at the end of the study, the goal is to say that whether there is or isn't a correlation between their recommendations for diet and the success of the diet. They would hope to essentially get from the three treatments, um, you know, uh, more information on uh, unique genetic profiles that say respond to saturated fats or don't do not respond to saturated fats. Uh, and then they had a, a, a carbohydrate um, uh, uh, group as well. And so if you reduce carbohydrates, uh, do you respond or you do not respond? And then they had a, a group where they uh, had them increase their uh, exercise uh, to see if they respond or not. I'm, an, I'm a habitual exerciser, and I know that exercising has no influence on my weight except for making me more hungry, and therefore it sort of is detrimental to my weight. <laughs> so. And that's, as far as I can tell, a really common thing, actually, that um, it's very, very difficult to – the vast majority of our calories are burned just through maintaining our body temperature and, like, thinking. And so moving our bodies doesn't really make a huge difference either way um, except to make us hungrier. But it has other beneficial effects. For example... Makes you feel, makes you feel entitled to eat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it does increase our sleep duration and quality, which has a very direct impact on our weight. So 
kind of in a roundabout way. Um, but yeah, so just from your own like research and, you know, gut feeling, <laughs> how uh, confident are you in those genetic based lifestyle recommendations right now? Uh, right now, I would say most of them are based on fairly limited studies and fairly limited genetic variants. And so, you know, in, in many of the cases of these types of uh, reports, they're going off of essentially one variant uh, that's been associated uh, uh, with, um, say, a diet um, aspect or a fitness aspect. Um, and then making a prediction on a fairly, what's, would be expected to be a quite complex trait where many genetic variants are influencing that. Um, and although that particular variant statistically is associated, it's, it's, it's going to have a fairly minor influence on the overall trait. Um, and therefore, yeah, you, you know, based on your genetics, you're going to be predicted to be one way or the other, but how much do other genetic variants that are not um, used to uh, make the prediction how much do those account for your unique trait um, at, uh, at that condition? Absolutely. Is there any reason that people should be wary about um, submitting their DNA, like privacy concerns or issues with insurance companies or, you know, maybe making bad decisions based on, you know, some of this early research that turns out to, you know, be uh, superseded by better information later? Well, I think submitting your, your saliva sample to 23andMe and Ancestry are fairly, um, uh, I, mean, I would regard them as safe in terms of protected within the within the uh, those companies. And so, as long as you're comfortable with the um, with that service and their terms of usage of that service, although those can change over time, um, then you should be you should feel comfortable. You know, they're going to ask you whether or not you want to participate in research. And so you should be comfortable knowing on whether or not you want to participate or not, and that you've toggled the right button uh, that represents your desires. Uh, because, you know, that's where the news articles come out is, oh, 23andMe sold your data. Uh, well, they sold research consented customers data. And so you have to be that research consented customer. Um, and so you should know what that entails. Where the privacy issues, I think, come in the most strongly is whenever people download their raw data from a service like 23andMe and start uploading it to other sites. Um, and so that's where uh, potential dangers can arise uh, and people may not be aware of the risk that they may be putting themselves into uh, for some other nefarious purposes of people accessing that database and using uh, your information for uh, for some purpose that you do not sort of want it to be used as. Um, uh, I think I would say that the, the big companies, Ancestry and 23andMe, are well protected with the way that they do things. Um, uh, uh, other databases are a little bit more suspect in how much they may be... Um, uh, used for other purposes. Hmm. Where do you see uh, over-the-counter genetic testing going in the next five years? Um, it's it's so unregulated that I think that there's going to continue to be an expansion of new options, um, 
and so I just noticed as I was preparing for a class this fall is um, so 23andMe does a Alzheimer's prediction based on one major genetic variant that's known to increase risk of Alzheimer's. Um, there's other genetic variants that have uh, an effect on, on Alzheimer's susceptibility. Um, and there's now a place where you can upload your 23andMe data to it, and they'll give you essentially this polygenic model and so all the genetic data essentially um, that's understood to influence Alzheimer's risk and they'll give you that risk score based on the totality of your genetic data for a small fee. Um, actually the fee is about the same as doing a 23andMe test and so all they're doing is analyzing the data that comes off 23andMe and giving you a risk score uh, from that data. Um, uh, and I think that there's going to be sort of an expansion of those types of services. Um, uh, I think that the, the big companies will continue to mature and sort of compete for market space. Um, I think that those sort of fly-by-night organizations will come and go uh, in terms of, you know, oh, yeah, we can, we can develop the service. We can uh, market it out there and see if anyone takes uh, – takes advantage of that um, and then eventually if it doesn't succeed it'll go away um, so I think the genetic testing is going through sort of this dot-com boom of services uh, appearing some of them will disappear um, you know the 23andMe's and ancestries my heritage's family tree DNA all of those are sort of have a solid business model um, and I think that they're gonna continue to persist um, and expand um, uh, so and you know and I think the services will just get better and better um, as they expand their customer databases awesome wonderful that sounds hopeful um, yeah do you have anything else that you think people should know about over-the-counter genetic testing well, my biggest thing that I recommend and well, part of why I started this monthly meeting is that people need to understand before they purchase one of the kits is, is what they're going to learn from it and whether or not that's aligned with what they want to learn from it. And so I recommend people to do their homework uh, and know what to expect uh, in terms of the product um, and, and how that sort of aligns with their goals. What do they want to know? Because I'm constantly asked, which is the best test? And my response is, what do you want to know? Uh, because there, there are differences. Um, and if you take the test that doesn't support what you want uh, to get, then you just basically wasted your money. So. Absolutely. Very good advice. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me today, Brian. It was really wonderful to meet you. Yes. Talk, nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Where can people find out about your research or, you know, join the discussion if they're in the... Well, I keep a web page. Uh, uh, easiest way to get there is genetics4, and so number4genealogy.info, um, and that has some information in terms of our monthly meetings in Iowa City. We also have a Facebook page, DNA Interest Group Iowa City as well. Awesome. Great. Well, have a good rest of the day. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Does It Work podcast by Biomarker Labs. For links, show notes, and more, check out biomarker.io slash podcast.